Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 432 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I talked to Patrick McAvina of Moving Pieces Interactive and asked them about the design and development of their co-op third-person action-adventure roguelite game, Soldiers of Giants. This is an interesting take on the procedurally generated action-adventure sort of formula. And it is a formula. I hate to, add, hate to, to describe it that, but it is. But here we have a multiplayer-centric game where players are encouraged to work with each other as a co-op to defeat or overcome the procedurally generated environments. And it really, really leans into teamwork very heavily. And this is the one of the many things that drew me to Soldiers of Giants. There's also a very interesting risk-reward model built into it that does push the player into making sure that they don't go running around willy-nilly, but take things carefully and in a measured way, rather than just go blundering in. So enough about that. Let's listen to me from the relatively recent past talk to Patrick about the Shoulders of Giants. Hello, Patrick. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Going great. Can you tell us what you do and who you are? Yeah, definitely. So my name is Patrick McAvina. I am one of the developers at Moving Pieces Interactive, which is a small game studio based in Brooklyn, New York. And we make indie games. You do indeed. My goodness, do you? And we're going to delve into that much later on. But before we do, can you tell us how do you make your start making video games? Yeah, so I started out my career as a 3D artist working in visual effects, mostly for TV commercials. And I did that for about 10 years. 
And I, I always wanted to do games. It was always a passion of mine. And kind of as I did some, you know, pharmaceutical commercials and some things that were not super exciting, I kind of to get the itch to try to get it back into games again. So in about 2017, 2018, I started working on uh, one of my very first projects with another friend. And that ended up turning into our studio's first commercial release. Nice. That's really not unusual for people coming from the visual arts into this field. So uh, you're amongst uh, many there. (laughs) I think so too, yeah. So this next question you can answer personally or on behalf of Moving Pieces Interactive. What are your biggest influences as creator? It's a really good question. I think that I consider myself more of a visual person, although I love music and I did all the audio design in our current project. Um, I draw a lot of inspiration from, you know, art from the, the 60s and 70s and definitely like gameplay from games that I grew up on playing like the Nintendo and the Genesis um, and TVs and movies and more recent games of game designers that I think have something really unique to offer. So I think all of those things are kind of where I try to draw inspiration from. Next question is this, what video game developer do you admire most and why? It could be a studio oh, man. Or a person, not this. It's a really, it's a very good question. Um, I, I, I'm not going to pronounce his name because I'm going to butcher it. But um, the creator of probably Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, I just think that the world building they created is just super appealing, and I think that's one of the most things that I find most satisfying when I'm developing a game is creating a world that. Uh, is different than our own that you can kind of feel alive in. It tells a story without having any characters in it at all. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's those are probably some of my favorite like world building games that I that I really admire the the folks that made those. Yeah. Okay. Again, often cited in this this question, and uh, yes, I still marvel at the horse animation in Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, it's amazing! <laughs> Absolutely stunning. Anyway, so last question of the first half. Here we go. What are you playing right now? So right now, being that our game just came out, I'm not really playing much of anything. (laughs) However, I definitely want to start playing some stuff again. Um, I I didn't finish Elden Ring, and I really want to finish that. I mean, it's again, it's just a gorgeous, beautifully designed game with an amazing world. Um, and I think that actually I do play a lot of Mario Kart with my wife and my daughter. That is a reoccurring game that (laughs) I do play a lot of. Um, so probably like a, I'm, I'm really excited for a lot of the games that are coming out this year to get a little more time to dive into them. One of which being Shoulders of Giants, although you're kind of like biased on that one, but (laughs) yeah. Yes, (laughs) that's true. Very true. Okay. So. Let's move on to the second half of the show, where we're going to be delving deep into Shoulders of Giants.
first question. Well, it's more like a request, but can you tell us what is Soldiers of Giants? Shoulders of Giants is a action roguelike where you simultaneously control two characters at once. One is a sharpshooting space frog sitting on top of the shoulders of a powerful sword-wielding robot. You scavenge for an arsenal of abilities, and you use them to restore light to a dark universe. The proportions are slightly off as well. That's interesting. I'm going to delve into that a little bit later, but this seems to be a bit distorted was that deliberate was it like is it came out to be because it seems to be everything slightly off in a good way um well i think one of the things that we were really interested in like one of the initial ideas we had is we were just really drawn to having a really small character and a really big character and those the juxtaposition of those two proportions we were just really drawn to with just the silhouette that those two would make um, in like a screenshot and just kind of how the player would see them. Um, when we started kind of hashing out the characters and like early prototypes, we initially had the robot like gargantuan size, like super big. And it was really cool, but that basically meant that you couldn't see the frog at all. <laughs> so we, we eventually compromised to where we have now, where the, the, the robot is significantly bigger, but you can easily read that one character is on top of the other one at a, at a glance. So when traversing the procedurally generated environments in Solar of the Giants, because for they are, everyone, if we land, well, do you land on randomly, kind of randomly generated, but not, hence the term procedurally, uh, the player quickly becomes used to seeking dark purple shapes, which are, the, which are typically the origins of threats against them, whether they be shooting at them something like that what have you done in the design of shoulders of giants to telegraph the levels of threat to the player what have you done to make sure that they are suitably aware of what's going on um i think we've tried to use shapes and objects that are similar and also colors um and we've tried we tried to use things as you mentioned um, basically the player has to take down a lot of, we call them like, uh, spires of entropy. Um, so we use familiar shapes like an eyeball that has a target on it. Everyone kind of knows what a target is. They might not know what the and a spine of a spire of entropy is, but they've seen a target before. So a lot of people's first reaction is, okay, let me shoot at that. They shoot at it. They see a health bar pop up and they immediately kind of understand it. Like, okay, this is a threat to me. This is something that I should take out. So we try to use, you know, have like some unique uh, models in our game that kind of like help tell our unique story, but at the same time kind of have things that are grounded in more of a traditional game design that are familiar to people too. So it's not too too many new things at once. At the completion of each planet, and the completion meaning unlocking and destroying all the the large sort of evil totems that are very, you know, evil purpley looking. in Shoulders of Giants, the player generates H-E-A-T, which stands for something. No one can quite remember what it does stand for. Um, and as you generate heat, there's a risk that as you progress, if you lose a particular run in a planet, all of the heat you've gathered is lost. Could you talk us through how this risk-reward model came about? 
Yeah. So, you know, we knew that we wanted to make a game where you had skin in the game, so to speak. We, we really wanted to make a roguelike that was not quite as, as hardcore as, as others had been, but one where there's definitely that like emotional high of like, oh my goodness, I came right to the brink and I made it. And, or I came right to the brink and I didn't. And I think that's a really cool moment that the roguelikes can offer the player. Um, so with that said, we initially, as you mentioned, the heat, the heat is basically the progression system in the game that you're building up every level, every world that you destroy, you're gaining more heat, which unlocks different story moments and, and different different special events that happen in the game. And ultimately, the more heat you have, the more difficult that the game becomes. When we first released our beta back in September, the game was a lot more was a lot less forgiving. So when you, whenever you died, whatever your heat was, you lost everything. And I think that that was obviously frustrating to certain people, but we decided to take a step back and reevaluate what opportunity that could present. So we ended, we ended up making the game's difficulty a bit harder, but we made the, um, the loss of you dying a bit easier. So you kind of like, our goal was to kind of keep the player in that space where there's like this kind of constant, like kind of coming to the edge and kind of coming back from it, sometimes going over the edge. So that the combination of those two things, I think allowed us to get a little bit further to that envelope. Um, so now in the, in the game, whatever plant that you go to, if you die, you only lose a, a fraction of, of your heat based on whatever the heat was of the world that you visited. Which is much more palatable yeah for sure <laughs> definitely let's talk about special abilities of which there could potentially could be eight during any given you know four for the robot four for the frog and uh these these special abilities in soul of the giants are present in each world that you, in, you encounter why are they randomly distributed and how do you manage their distribution in each world because you, you kill things, they drop something, and you then run over and hit the right button on your controller, and uh, voila, you, you've got a thing that you then assign to one of the face buttons, apart from A, which is always jump. So, yeah, how did you manage this? Yeah, so it's a really good question. I think when we set out on making the game, we wanted to make something where taking inspiration from traditional roguelikes where every run offers something unique and different. Um, a lot of games have this like idea of like a class, you know, which is very much rooted in like Dungeons and Dragons, which is super cool. Um, and I think it's something that a lot of players do expect in games, but we wanted to do something a little bit different where we didn't have classes. Every run you go on, you're effectively making your own play style based, based on what abilities you have and are available. So as you play the game, you're going to get more familiar with different abilities. Um, I think we have 50 or 60 in the game now, and we're, we're planning on adding more. So we have we have a pretty large amount. And our ultimate dream was for people to be able to find different combinations of these abilities that we didn't and that we didn't really necessarily plan on or anticipate on, and being able to use them in like new new ways, um, which we started to see now, which is which is pretty cool. So for example, we have we have a jump pad that you could that you could lay down, and then we have a bombing run ability. So if you go on the jump pad, you go super high in the air, 
and the bombing run ability, whenever you're in the air, you're dropping bombs. So that's just an example of the ways that these abilities can relate to each other. And then to answer your the second part of your question, I think was how do we manage kind of like placing them in the world? And I think we, so we have some that kind of spawn in at the beginning of the level, just to kind of incentivize the player to explore the world a little bit and get familiar with the map. And then the second component to uh, how you acquire the abilities is basically as a reward for um, destroying some of the enemy structures. Um, they'll also spawn that way as well. So basically it's an incentive for you to explore and then as a reward for you accomplishing some of the bigger objectives in the, in the level. Definitely. It's lovely player feedback going, good job, here's a thing. Now you're even better. <laughs> right. It can be argued that the Shoulders of Giants is two games in one. In that, with the single player being mode being managing threats and the multiplayer is all about actually coordinating attacks to maximum effect. That's what I've found with my. It definitely feels it's a two-headed beast, which is wonderful. Has one mode of play influenced the other, and if so, how? Hmm, yeah, that's a good question. I think that what I can say is we really wanted to have the multiplayer experience scale in a way where it really encouraged people to play together instead of kind of just like running off on their own and doing their own thing. So we did that by scaling the amount of enemies and the placement of enemies. So like if you're off on your own, it's definitely going to be a lot more challenging than if you're with the group. It might not be super, uh, you might not like last that long if you're just kind of like, okay, forget everybody else. I'm going to go do my own thing. You can certainly do that. And it's a, a way that you could play the multiplayer experience. But um, I will say that the multiplayer as we started to balance it, I think it it did kind of give us, like in terms of the difficulty, once we started to scale the multiplayer, we then started to think about the single player difficulty and they kind of just like, we balanced the two together in a way that made them both cohesive, but also kind of like shine on their own as well. Which they most certainly do. I just love the being able to say, no, you go over there, no, stop, do you stop, do you stay here? I'll go around the back and then we'll just do a pincer movement on a count of three. And they go, on three? <laughs> on, yes, on three. And then you've done a fantastic job. Whereas in the other, you know, single player mode, it's a different game. I genuinely believe it's a different game. You're just like, you're constantly looking around you 360 degrees because anything could come at any time because they're spawning all around you until you shut those, uh, those spires down. Well done. So, Solars of Giants which is developed by Moving Pieces Interactive. A wonderful name, by the way, for the for the studio. Where's it come from? The name for the studio? Hmm. Um, you know, it's just it it seemed like an obvious choice for a video game studio and um it just kinda it just kinda came in one day when we were first releasing our first our first project, Dota Peak. We had to, you know, like file the business papers and come up with a name and um there was a, a moving company that was named Moving Pieces, but there was no video game companies. So we decided to to go with it. Um, what uh, what uh, platforms is Shoulders of Giants available on? So it's available on Xbox. So all the Xboxes, um, Xbox One, Xbox Series. 
and also on PC by way of the Epic Game Store. Indeed it is. Well, Patrick, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you very much for sharing so much about the design and development of Shoulders of Giants. It's been really illuminating. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. And you're more than welcome to come back to talk about whatever next you're cooking under your your head or heads, collective heads, because we'll be here to talk about whatever it is. But uh, <laughs> sounds until, great. Yeah. Until then, thanks very much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. Thank you.
Thank you.